And so now it was my honor to introduce our guest speaker, not our guest speaker, our regular speaker. <laughs> but uh, Reverend Patrick Cameron, who led us in a wonderful um, board retreat yesterday. So thank you for your vision and leadership and guidance. <clears throat> thank you, Reverend Connie. Hey, Brian, would you send Brian out too? We're going to sing a song, say a prayer, and then we'll sing another song. So those of you that would like to stand with me and sing the song, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to stay seated, whatever serves you in the best way. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love. And quite enough power to walk through your every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room, in this very Let us, in this moment, come together once again to continue to lift ourselves in the vibration of the Most High. One life, perfect life, our life, Spirit's life. And so in that invocation, in that recognition, in that unification, I know that I am lifted and expanded. And what needs to inform me, resource me, guide me, nurture me, and for you as well, whatever it may be, I say yes that I stand teachable and open and receptive to the divine guidance, the impress of spirit in my life. And I continue to pull that idea close. I continue to bask in the spacious spaciousness of spirit. I give thanks for this day, for the music, for the reminder, for the remembrance of who I am and whose I am. Knowing that I and you, we are equipped right here and right now for whatever is before us. That we are here by divine right appointment to live in freedom and joy and celebration. For this I give thanks. Together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. So I've asked Brian to lead us in another song. And you all know this one pretty well, unless you're here for the first time. Caravan 
of despair. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving. Come, come, whoever you are. This isn't a caravan of despair. And it doesn't matter if you've broken your vow a thousand times before and yet again. Come again, come and yet again, come. Come, whoever you are, a wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving. And come, come, whoever you are, this isn't a caravan of despair. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, and come, come, whoever you are, this isn't a caravan of despair. It doesn't matter if you've broken your vows a thousand times before, and yet again, come again, come, and yet again. Come again, come, come again, come, come again, come, come again,
spaciously spacious is um, the title of what I wanted to share with you today. And it is in the spaciousness that my, my um, touching spirit and the experience of spirit has been the most unique and wonderful. And it sometimes happened at, at, at the strangest times. But I want to talk a little bit about that because we are the only species, we are the only members of this planet as in, in humanity that for some reason has decided that somewhere along the way that we don't belong. And so belonging is really important. It's vital to our continued growth and to our continued journey. And so we have experiences that come along. And I love, one of the reasons I wanted to share, we didn't do that song in the first service because there's time constraints, but uh, I, I, I checked in with myself over there and said, if we go five minutes long today, we'll let, we'd be okay. And it, I got, the answer I got back was yes. So, But I got into the spaciousness to ask it. But what, what happens for us is we, we, we have experiences, we have life experiences, and we, for some reason then we t- tell ourselves a story that we don't belong. And so our teaching and our tradition is there's one life, spirit's life, our life, my life, right here, right now. And it is coming back and it's healing that separation. Because when we believe for, for a, a moment that we don't belong, we live in separation. But if we understand who we are and whose we are, and we, and we use that as a practice and we use that as a, an affirmation in our lives, we're brought home. We come again, come. It doesn't matter if we've broken, because our vow really is to be true to ourselves at the end of the day. I think our vow is to be honorable and true to the best person we can be to ourselves first and foremost. And so I love the chant by Rumi. It's from a Rumi poem. And, uh, and Brian and I, am actually, I'm working with Brian on playing it myself because I love it so much. And uh, he just plays it and sings it so beautifully. And, but, but it is to come back, remember who we are. It doesn't matter if we've forgotten a thousand times. That's the other piece of it. But we do forget that we belong. And we do belong. And David White talks about it in poetry. He's a, he's a modern poet that has just been one of the great teachers in my life. Um, I had a brief encounter with him in, in uh, Denver this past winter. He was one of our speakers at our minister's conference. And poetry, as David says, is language that expands us. Dr. Holmes was a poet as well. Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder. His prayer work is Poetry. And, but it, it's a vibration. And, and David talks about, David White talks about that poetry, poetry opens us up. His, his commitment to himself, his vow to the planet is to expose as many people as possible to poetry because he realizes how powerful it is. And poetry transcends uh, religious organizations and political parties. Poetry is the language. It is a divine language. And it, it elevates us. So it's so important to have practice in our life that lifts us up out of that. I believe when we come together... On a Sunday, the music is choreographed and the message is choreographed so that we're lifted out of that mundane way of thinking, that languaging that is repetitive in our heads that keeps us bound to this idea that we don't belong into a different idea of who and what we are, which is divine, which is spirit, in form. And we are the only species that does it. Have you ever looked at a star? Do you think a star doesn't know what a star is? The intelligence of a star? There's intelligence in the star. There's a degree of livingness in a star that is not the degree of livingness you and I have. We've been given dominion. Because we are created in, we are gifted in the image and likeness of the infinite. Not in form, but in, in, in the aspect of being able to impress upon this infinite intelligence ideas that then play themselves out in our lives. It's a beautiful opportunity. It's a beautiful opportunity. The challenge that we have many times is we think it's got to be easy. 
It's in, and so when it's not easy, we feel like we're suffering or we feel like something's wrong. <clears throat> Joel Goldsmith says in the Foundations of Mysticism, people fall into that trap that what we want it to be easy. It's not easy, but it can be an adventure if the consciousness is there. It can be, it can be a, an extraordinary adventure of life. And everything is conspiring for our great good. David White says, everything is waiting for you. Everything is waiting for you. The great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. The great mistake is to act this drama, this life, as if we were alone. And when we feel like we don't belong, we feel isolated because we're separated. This is the genius of Ernest Holmes. There's one life, and that's my life. Simple practice. But how many of us got that growing up? I wasn't exposed to those ideas. And when I found this, it was like, my God. And it was way too technical for me. When I found this teaching and had to take classes, forget it. I like it, but you're never going to get me into a class. I'm done with classes. Well, think again. But, I had to, but, you know, but, it, but it had to be my choice. That's, it just has to be our choice. And so working with a practitioner and doing the work and, the, and all of the sequential, it was gradual, sequential, and inevitable. And it continues to be that. Because there's no, there's no end destination in it. It's just a revelation of more and more and more and more and more. Which is fun. When you understand that, you know, I'm a work in progress. You know, I have people that come up once in a while and they'll, be, they'll, they'll criticize me. And I'll say, well, keep praying for me. I'm a work in progress. Thank you so much for sharing. Your great mistake is to act a drama as if you were alone. As if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witnesses to the tiny hidden transgressions. That's the open secret. We think nobody knows. We know. As if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. And when we feel we don't belong, we abandon ourselves. We give up on ourselves. And then it informs all of our relationships. And we're looking for the right and perfect relationship in our lives. And then we've abandoned ourselves. And what are we going to bring into our lives? Because the law of attraction works. It is the law of reciprocity. We're going to bring in another abandoned soul. And then we will sit around and we'll commiserate in our abandonedness. And then pretty soon we'll form a club. And we'll meet at the Center for Spiritual Living on Wednesday nights. And we'll talk about how abandoned we are. I mean, but that's the way consciousness plays itself out. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely even you at times have felt the grand array. The grand array, the spaciousness, the swelling presence, and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. We think we're singing alone. I've, been in, I've had meditation. I've had some mystical moments in meditation where I've just heard choruses. Now maybe I'm making it up. Maybe I'm having a hallucination. I, and I'm okay with that too. But there's music going on. And it just sounds to me like, wow, somebody's singing. See, and I think when we, we sing together and we come together in celebration, we open up to that vibration. It lifts us up. Lifts us up. And all of it, all of it is so important. But it is doing it with awareness and intelligence and passion and love and commitment. One of the things the difference between the scientist and the mystic does is the scientist will study something. And when the mystic studies something, the mystic understands their connection to it. There's no separation. We are all one. We just, we, our molecules are just formed in a certain way, but the mystic understands what I'm studying, I'm part of. The grand array, the swelling presence, the chorus crowding out your soul of voice. You must note the way the soap dish enables you, with the way the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. David White said that when you're lost in a snowstorm on the side of a mountain, everything looks different. 
when your life is in jeopardy. I don't know if anybody's ever been lost in the forest, lost on the water, not knowing which direction to go. If you've ever been lost in nature, everything looks different. Your alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity because your life depends on it. And so you're not just out there basking in the glow of the maple tree. You're looking for clues for survival. And, and that's available to us all the time. The clues are here now. The soap dish enables us. The window latch grants us freedom. All of it. All of it. The chairs we're sitting in. What a blessing. There's God in form being expressed through engineers and, and designers and people that fabricate. People that made the fabric. But it's all God. Just another aspect. There's a part, part of that that didn't come from spirit, from source. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and to invite you. To frighten you and invite you. David, David White talks about this. He said, you know, many times that we, we pray for courage. He said, we don't really pray for courage. What we pray for is, how little courage will this require of me? It's different. How much am I going to have to really step up my game here? Because I really don't want to step it up a lot. But it's interesting. How much courage will it require? And he said that the... <clears throat> When we feel abandoned, when we're, we're, we're spinning in this, this is not a bad thing, but it's the human condition, and I think it's important to have the conversation. And I'll tell you why, because he said, the moment you articulate exactly the way you feel separate, why you feel separate, I'm unhappy, I'm, I don't have enough money, love, finances, health, whatever it may be, the moment that you, you give word to it, you are on your way back home. Come, come again, come. Come, come again, come, because you've owned it. And it doesn't mean, see, we think we're affirming it again. No, 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 we're just being honest with ourselves, saying, I feel lost today. What's informing me here? Why do I feel this way? And then what my experience has been, wherever I go and wherever I've been, as soon as I get back into spiritual practice, as soon as I say there's one life, and that is God's life, and that is my life now. And, and if I work with that, if that sounds like I'm announcing rather than owning, then I work with that. Because sometimes we're distracted. And the spaciousness of this, the spacious spaciousness is, is the, the title of the lesson today. I've said it many times. There's a practice where I'll, I'll track my breathing, I'll close my eyes, and I'll, I'll touch my fingers together lightly. And I'll breathe. Try that with me for a second. What happens in that is you can't think of anything else. Because you can't do more than three things. You can't do two things, more than two things at a time. So when we're touching something, when we're activating the senses, it creates that spaciousness. It doesn't mean we forget about what we were thinking about. It just means in this moment we open to it. We open to this moment. And when we open to this moment, we come home and we know we belong. We are the only species that thinks we don't belong. Anybody ever had a cat or a dog? your cat or dog ever informed you they don't belong? There's trees out there. Those trees know exactly who they are. And yet it's so easy for us to forget and think we don't belong. You belong. And if you get this, if you get nothing else, you get this, then everything changes. Everything changes because you change. That is the personal transformation. And so you live a richer life. You just show up alive, as you should, because you belong. You know who you are. 
Someone, some, uh, some of the choir, were, I think it was Karen, out between the services, she was starting to thank me, and, and, I, and I was starting to discount it. And I said, oh, shut up. I didn't say it to Karen, I said it to myself. <laughs> I was just reading in, I was just reading in uh, Gay Hendricks' book, how we discount. Someone will say something that, well, <laughs> I got lucky. I had a buddy one time, and, and, and he dropped out of high school, good friends, and he got a job selling life insurance. And he went out and he sold the first client he went to, he sold a policy to. And his boss was all excited. And so he spent the next three weeks telling his boss, it will never happen again. This was a huge mistake. I don't know what I did, but it'll never happen again. And so he got fired about six weeks later. He just couldn't own it. Gay says this, it is a heroic task. Science tells us that it took a very long time for our fish ancestors to evolve the necessary equipment to turn those initial flops on dry land into walks. And now we're in a stage of evolution in which we're doing the inner equivalent of those early fish flops. We're learning to let ourselves enjoy love, abundance, and other forms of positive energy without sabotaging ourselves. Love, abundance, and positive energy without sabotaging ourselves. So if you don't have the vocabulary... If it's not part of your practice and it seems foreign to you, it's okay. But to think, I brought with me some science today. I brought a lot of poetry, but I watched a program this week with David Suzuki called The Nature of Things. And he talked about it. It was the follow-up program to the way the brain, the brain works. It was called Changing Your Mind. What a novel idea. Change your thinking, change your life. And in it, what he was, they were articulating, he used to think the brain was mechanical, it was a machine. And the brain is not a machine. It is not mechanical. They call it neuroplasticity. Neurons that fire together, wire together. If you saw what the bleep do we know, they did a lot on this. Neurons that fire together, wire together. And what they found was they, they looked at three aberrant conditions in this program. They looked at um, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. They looked at post-traumatic stress disorder. And they looked at schizophrenia. And what they have found in the studies and what the research they've done and the practices they've, they've introduced that shifts and changes. With obsessive compulsive behavior, what it is is that we, we have worry circuits. We worry because we, we want to wash our hands. We'll, we'll expose ourselves to something and we're going to go wash our hands. What happens with OCD is they become stuck in the worry, the, the circuit that gets them out of that. Typically, we'll wash our hands and then we're on to something else. But with OCD, they get stuck. The circuit gets stuck. And so it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a functioning in the brain in the way that the brain processes. And so what they found are there are four steps to free someone from this. And number one, they, become, they ask the participant to become an impartial spectator. In other words, don't believe everything you think. So you have a thought, but you say, that's my brain. And I think it's such good practice for us. Because we can have obsessive thoughts. We can do things out of, out of habit. To step back, that's part of spiritual practice. That's why we have meditation. We can see what's bubbling up. A lot of times it's really uncomfortable. But if we can be present with it and understand, that's just my brain firing. That's just my brain firing. I've had meditations like that, really busy time, and all of a sudden you go into meditation, and all it does is stay in the service and bounce it and bounce it and bounce. And then it feels like I'm not having a good meditation which is just the idea that my brain is sending me, you're not having a good meditation, so you might as well quit, which is the last thing I want to do. So I say, okay, great, I'm having that thought, I'm still meditating. Because if I don't do it there, I'm going to have to sit down and do the meditation again and let it fire. Might as well get it done now. And eventually what happens is it just quiets down. 
All of a sudden, you dive deep below the surface. So, impartial spectator. You don't believe everything you think. You step back, and you realize that what the OCD people is they feel like they're being attacked by germs. So what they suggest to them is rather than tell yourself that story, say, this is not an attack of germs. This is simply my brain sending me this signal. This is my brain sending me this signal is all this is. So that's step number one. Number two, reattribute the fear because there's emotion that comes with it. Reattribute the fear to something the brain is doing. It's just the brain going rogue. So I'm feeling this fear. It's this free-floating anxiety. And that's once again, it's just my, my brain sending me that signal. But it's just a signal coming in. It's not true. There's nothing to fear. Number three, to refocus. Move to constructive, wholesome activity. It's really important. I think that's why my, uh, my uh, car- carpentry was such a valuable practice in my life. Because it, whenever I'd have the anxiety, I'd get a big job and I'd get this huge kitchen to build for somebody in some exclusive home somewhere in Southern California. And all of a sudden, the anxiety would kick in. And I don't think I can do this. And what am I going to do? And finally, I'd just have to figure out what I could actually build that day that would, that would move me along. So I would take it down to the smallest pieces and say, I know I'm going to need 50 of these, or I'm going to need 25 of these, or I'm going to need 100 of these. And I would start cutting. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, just from moving my body and getting something done that was wholesome and constructive, it alleviated the anxiety. It's kind of like getting ready on a Sunday morning. If I don't set time aside and do the preparation, there's a lot of anxiety that goes on. But as I get into it and I go, because I've got to tell you, on Wednesdays, I'm like, I have said everything I can possibly ever say. There is nothing I'm going to share this weekend. So then I start thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do now? I guess I can go work for the circus or I could become a UPS driver. Okay. And then I realize, no, this is the signal I get when it's time to start doing the work. And so I've learned over the years the best way to deal with that is to do the work. Start reading something. Start being drawn to something that lifts, expands and lifts my energy. Number four, notice your compulsion begins to fade. So as you become the impartial spectator and you bring bring it close, David White says that to start to love the darkness. Start to love the darkness, the mystery. Just start loving it, pulling it close. Most artists, he said, artists have to die over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. Because... What was new and fresh in, that wanted to be created last week or last, the last 10 minutes or whatever it was is no longer who we are. And I realize that in terms of who, what I, and I, my intention is to share with you. I know sometimes it sounds like I have one talk and I do it over and over again, but it's really not. Uh, the principles are the same, but it's really about mining the depths of creativity. But isn't it interesting with these people with obsessive compulsive disorder? And all of a sudden, they start to do these four simple steps. They start to step back as the impartial observer. They start to, to manage their fear. They start to do constructive, wholesome activities. And all of a sudden, it starts to dissipate. What they have found with post-traumatic stress disorder, what they have people do, and this comes from the Renaissance. It used to be called conventional writing. They have them write out whatever it was because with post-traumatic stress disorder, something traumatic has happened. And people keep reliving it over and over and over again in their head. What they've asked people to do is to write it out and read it out loud. They give them 10 minutes to write it out and read it out loud. And they do that once a week for five weeks. In five weeks, what they have found, this is a guy from McGill University. In five weeks, doing it once a week, 50% of the post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms with these these particular um, study group disappear. They just start reading it out loud. 
they tell their story and they read it out loud. Otherwise, we just drag the story with us and it becomes who we are. And then, of course, we don't, we don't deserve, we, we don't belong. Because I had this horrible thing happen. The memory doesn't go away. It's just simply we put it where it needs to be, which is we file it in the past. See, what happens with the brain, if we're not careful, is we'll keep filing it in the present moment. We just simply have to file it in the past. And it's so simple, is it not? With schizophrenia, they've now figured out video games. With schizophrenic people that suffer, which is they make stuff up. They can't tell what's real and what's not real. They have a video game now that they show to people. And after a period of time, it starts activating places in the brain that lie dormant. And their conditions shift and they become more functioning. Isn't it fascinating? The neuroplasticity of our brains. Ernest Holmes wrote about this in the 20s. And he wasn't the first one. The the Buddhists wrote about this 2,500 years ago. You know, this is nothing new. It's ancient wisdom. We're always looking for, I'm looking for the magic bullet. Are you not? And, and, you know, at the end of the day, everything I read and I look at, I go, oh, I'll get, I get it. I need to meditate. I need to pray. I need to be mindful about what I'm telling myself. And when I feel abandoned or I feel a victim, or all that stuff, I don't, ever think we, I don't ever think that we ever stop hearing those stories. But all of a sudden we realize, no, that's not my story anymore. And it's not very interesting. It doesn't bring me to life, and it certainly doesn't bring anybody else to life. Now, you'll notice as you start doing this more and more and more, and it becomes more in your practice, some of your closest friends will no longer be your closest friends. It's just the way it works. Oh, I wanted to share Ernest here with you. But it just, I mean, it, it, to me, when I read it and I see it and, I, and we have the discussion, I'm just, I'm just blown away by the, this guy's brilliance, his genius. The mind is a magnet, and we attract that with which we identify the self. In order to get the most out of life, we must learn consciously to change many of our habitual thought patterns. It is not easy, for your old thought patterns cling to us with great tenacity. But being thought patterns, they can be reversed. If you are filled with fear, refill yourself with faith, for faith always overcomes fear exactly when I was looking at David White's stuff. He said, when you, when you move into the darkness, when you move into the mystery, it requires great faith. And, it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a deep knowing and it's a trust. But if we feel like we don't belong, how can we do that? There's one life, God's life, my life. There's one life, God's life, my life. One life, God's life, my life. And it's perfect life. And it is at the depth of who and what each and every one of us is. And the perfection is, is that we've been an opportunity to change our thinking and change the grooves in our brain. I mean, if, to look at this study from, this, the, from uh, the nature of things and to look how these life, people, lives have been changed just simply by having a bigger idea, a higher vibration idea and replacing it. Stepping back and realizing this isn't true for me. I do belong. That's a signal. That's an old story. I don't buy into that anymore. So simple, so powerful. And it's, it's, it's so simple that it doesn't seem like it should, should work. Ernest Holmes said, You will certainly learn if you make the experiment that one kind of thought can neutralize another and can rub it out. For instance, if something within you says, I'm unhappy this morning, you can deny this statement and affirm its opposite, and you will soon find that a new thought reaction takes place. And you will discover that the denial of the wrong condition causes it to disappear, while the affirmation of the right condition creates that condition. We cannot live without God. 
Every attempt to do this has failed. No fear can remain where faith holds sway. Faith reunites us with the original creative spirit, the divine mind which already exists at the center of your being. The kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of wholeness, is within. And we approach it and we go through that door when we understand we belong. And to say anything other than that to ourselves is a lie. And it diminishes you and it diminishes the the infinite in the activity. And so it is self-serving and it is self-indulgent to live there. And we don't have the luxury of doing it anymore. There's enough people out there. They've got that job portfolio covered. Plenty of people out there are going to hold up the banner that says, you don't deserve and you're not good enough, or I don't deserve. And I, it's because what they're telling you is, I don't deserve and I'm not good enough. And I can't, let it, I can't let that much good into my life. That's what Gay Hendricks is talking about. He's talking about this upper limit problem that keeps us from living in our genius. He says, the art of getting beyond our upper limit problem has a lot to do with creating space within us to feel and appreciate natural good feelings. Spaciousness. By natural, I mean good feelings that aren't induced by alcohol, sugar, and other short-term fixes. Letting yourself savor natural good feelings is a direct way to transcend. He calls it the upper limit problem. I say it's the, the sense that we don't belong and we don't deserve. We do belong. We do deserve. So bring that mindfulness, bring spaciousness into your life. And however you find that, if it's through music, if it's a practice, find the practices that work for you. The Greeks did this. That's where the term common sense comes from. They would, their form of, of, of spiritual transcendence was through the common senses. They would, they would talk about using their, their listening closely and, and rubbing the roof of their mouth with their tongue. It's the same thing as breathing and rubbing their fingers together the common senses. They would reach transcendence through the senses. Isn't that fascinating? So when we do our prayer work, I think it's so important, the affirmative prayer work. And what do you affirm? Write it down. Write it down and work with it. Emma Curtis Hopkins, teacher of teachers. She's got it all laid out. She said, first day, the the steps, she's got them all laid out. I don't have them before me, so I'm not going to start trying to, to remember them right now. But you go through seven days with Emma. And, and one of them is denial, because when these things come up that we don't, we don't belong, it's denial, 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 and affirmation, denying the power of the idea, and the old idea that doesn't work anymore. It requires effort. And then after the seven days, you know what you do? You start over. And then after those seven days, you know what you do? You start over. And after those seven days, you start over at the beginning, day one. And I believe day one is just recognition. One life. One life. And day two, I believe, is unification that one life is my life but she just Emma's got it Emma's got it she influenced Ernest Holmes she influenced all the great new thought teachers that sprung forth this movement whose shoulders we stand upon so this week do the work when those stories are coming up to tell you you don't belong deny them power oh there's that old story there's my brain sending me a signal that's no longer true for me and I'm choosing something more interesting I do belong I do have gifts and talents. I do have, I, I do have value. Give it a shot. You're going to be thinking anyway, are you not? Give it a shot. <laughs> so these people are all on an airplane. They're on an airplane. They're all loaded up, ready to go, and the pilots haven't gotten on the plane yet. And all of a sudden, this pilot comes in the back door, and he's got a, a, a cane, a walking cane, and dark glasses on, and he's banging into the seats, making his way up the aisle. And so everybody kind of looks, and they think, maybe this... Close to Halloween, maybe this is some kind of joke. And then all of a sudden, the co-pilot comes on. And he's got a seeing eye dog. And everybody gets real quiet, and they watch both of them go into the, to the cockpit and shut the door. 
And so they're all sitting there, and you know, they're waiting for the announcement to come or whatever, the guys to come back out. They both have their, their dark glasses on and, and obviously sight impaired. And all of a sudden, the plane starts. And they start down the runway, and they're going down the runway, and people are at the windows. They're, they're plastered to the windows, and there's this huge lake at the end of the runway. And people start screaming at the top of their lungs. And all of a sudden, the plane lifts off. And everybody relaxes, and the screaming dies down. And they're about 30 seconds into the flight, and the pilot looks over at the co-pilot, and he says, you know, one of these days, these people are not going to scream on time, and we're going to end up in that lake. You know, how many, and I didn't think of this the first one, but I thought of it now. It's just getting way too serious in here. I had to lighten it up a little bit. But how many times have we had our own thinking, you know, this idea of not belonging, as our pilots? And we just sit there letting the blind pilot fly the plane. You know, it's time to really look at our lives and what's informing us. The, you know, the, the, the poetry, I just, you know, a lot of what I, I, I spend a lot of time reading poetry and looking at things on the internet because it lifts me up. David White talks about it. It's in that language that opens us. So let us continue to open to the possibility and to be available, to be informed and to be inspired and to share that with one another. And if you're doing that already, great. Share more. And if it's a new practice for you, great. Try a new practice. So it is. Blessings. Thank you. <clears throat>